Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The politics of that was begins right now joining us now to talk a little bit about the week that was in bc politics is keith baldry gold bc's legislative bureau chief hello keith happy friday jazz the snow is disappearing over here which is good news yes and it's slowly doing the same here but it's going to take a bit of time and we got enough slush and puddles here to deal with over the next 24 to 48 hours but i'm glad uh, the worst is behind us lots to talk about today a couple of issues that have caught my eye one is uh, provincial politics one is federal uh, politics the first one is of course uh, the announcement by david eby in prince george of a 10-year capital plan for bc hydro uh, which he says over the next decade there'll be spending $36 billion on new infrastructure projects, basically a new energy plan for the province. Walk me through what you make of this. Oh, it's a pretty big deal if it comes to fruition. Uh, this is a 10-year plan, so I'm always a little leery of 10 years and sustaining that plan through possibly changing governments and that type of thing. But this is basically doubles uh, or uh, increases by 50% BC Hydro's capital plan from $24 billion to $36 billion. A uh, new transmission line up in uh, t- Terrace to Prince George. One of the I went back and just reread the news release, Jazz, and I found some of the language quite interesting. A lot of people still cling to the view of the NDP as the 1990s NDP government, which is mm-hmm. fundamentally different than this one. The 1990s NDP government would not boast about opening new mines in um, in the north of the province. It wouldn't talk about wind and solar. Um, uh, plans to be as part of the BC Hydro Energy Grid. This is very much about resource industries and helping industry and the resource sector to electrify, which is a big departure uh, philosophically in a way from the NDP of the 1990s, which was much more environmentally um, skewed, if you want to, or friendly mm-hmm. in terms of not being friendly to as industries as much as what we saw on display in Prince George. It was a very deliberate choice of EB to go to Prince George you know, fundamentally different than the lower mainland or the capital region. We're an area where they're traditionally not of a political, have much political strength. But, you know, with the potential split of the center-right vote between the Conservatives and the BC United Party, that puts the Prince George riding, so that whole northern area, in play for the NDP to pick up come the October election. They don't have to win with 50% of the vote. If it's a three-way split, they're hovering in the top 30s. They can win seats they haven't won since the 1990s. Yeah, I remember the Paul Ramsey and some of the other uh, ministers from that. Lois Boone. Yeah, yeah. Lois Boone, that's right. That's a, And it's been and those writings have been held by people like Shirley Bond for a very long time, but everything's up in the air. When, when the Premier says $36 billion in spending over 10 years, you mentioned the Prince George to Terrace uh, line. That's uh, that would be power to uh, the northwest sector of our province, which would spe- speaks to uh, greater LNG expansion, perhaps mining as well. What other things can we talk about in regards to sort of this large scale expansion? What, what what can we expect from them? Well, one of the things that's new is going to be wind power. We don't have a lot of wind power up next to none in BC. Our our generational assets, as they call them, are, are huge hydroelectric dams 
which were built in the 50s and 60s. Um, for the most part, Site C is being built now. WAC Bennett, the visionary premier, who opened up BC, modernized BC, came up with the, the whole black, uh, damn plan. And now uh, we're, it's not going to be any more, it doesn't look like there's going to be any construction of any more dams. Wind and solar seem to be where hydro is now switching. So that's new. Rick McCandless, who, who you've had on as a guest, former assistant deputy minister over here, who's got an intervener status at the Utilities Commission, estimates there could be as much as a 600 to 650 wind turbine wind farm in the northeast part of the province where the winds blow very strong. And that we're talking around Tumbler Ridge and, and the like. Uh, that could be a controversial project, but Hydro's got a power call out later this spring, and the expect, expectation is it's to have wind power, again, which is a new venture for, for uh, here. Also, the, the announcement talked about uh, not only meeting demand in uh, energy use in the mining sector, in the resource sector, but also what comes with housing growth in the lower mainland, and it refers to the, tr the transportation electrification. So that's um, another big part of the plan is to have um, a lot more electricity pumped into uh, Metro Vancouver to fuel what's expected to be huge growth in housing and electric and transportation. So, again, if this comes off, it's a pretty big deal. But, again, we, it's not clear if it, will the wind farm actually be built. Will it be popular? There's one down in Washington State uh, that is very unpopular uh, in the eastern part of the, uh, the state where people don't want wind farms near their homes. They're big, tall, noisy structures that kill mm -hmm. birds and such, and they're not very popular on a mass basis. Um, so it's uh, that's a that's a real new venture for BC Hydro. Mm -hmm. um, now, this is all happening, uh, as Von Palmer reported recently, uh, where the BC Utilities Commission uh, basically agreed with Fortis BC that uh, they are almost at capacity in regards to providing natural gas to Okanagan residents. In fact, Fortis BC says that we'll, we got a couple more years, then we'll have hit capacity. So they want to build a 30-kilometer line or so uh, in that area to increase capacity, and BC Utilities Commission turned them down. Um, mm -hmm. So we have this aspiration language from the Premier on one side talking about wind and solar and other forms of energy and expanding our energy capacity, yet on the other side we have traditional and conventional fuel that British Columbians still rely on and like, natural gas especially, and we're turning them down. There seems to be this internal or even a broader public, public conversation about where we're headed, but how fast we get there, because you can't say this is where we want to go, but at the same time turning down vital energy needed now and today. Well, here's, um, you're right. I mean, there's a contradiction here. And again, politically, I think it's very risky for any government to say, we're just going to turn off all the natural gas um, when people need that to uh, heat their homes, basically. I mean, Fortis has an enormous amount of customers. You had the uh, one of the Fortis, Fortis' top officials on after the yep. Hydro put out a news release, patting itself on the back for stepping up and, you know, um, meeting record energy demand of more than 11,000 megawatts. And it turns out, Fortis actually supplied more when it came to heating homes. Mm -hmm. So they're a big part of the energy puzzle. I, what I can take of this is that the government doesn't want to see any more expansion of natural gas rather than turning off natural gas as it currently exists. I know Nanaimo wants to get rid of natural gas. Uh, I think Vancouver City Council a few years ago passed a similar motion. But when you've got pretty well almost everybody in your neighborhood and city uh, using that product, it's tough to turn it off. However, it's easier to say we're just not going to supply any more of it. And I think that was behind the Utilities Commission decision. 
Now, I want to change course in regards to our subject. I want to talk a little bit about international students and immigration. Uh, Australia's net migration will be halved within two years in a very dramatic move uh, where uh, its Home Affairs Minister said they're going to go from a record high of 510,000 people coming. They're going to impose tougher tests on overseas students and turning away workers with low skills. The UK has said they're going to do the same as well. We recently heard from our immigration minister who said that, quote, uh, the immigration system is out of control and we're expecting caps on uh, international students very quickly. I want you to listen to the Australian Home Affairs Minister, Claire O'Neill here, uh, Keith, in regards to uh, how she articulates the problem and what they need to be doing. Let's take a listen. Our migration system is really constructed back the front at the moment. And what I mean by that is it is very hard today to come to Australia as a really highly skilled permanent migrant. And these are just the migrants we need, but we place endless bureaucracy and wait times and cost in their path. What we have also done at that at that same time, what really is you know happened under the previous government, is these side doors and back doors have been left open. So very large numbers of people are coming into our country. They are settling into low skill jobs in the labour market, and they are highly vulnerable to exploitation. Now, what we are trying to do is flip that. We are trying to make sure that we create easier pathways for those um, migrants who are going to come here build the productivity of our country, grow jobs, um, build businesses and lift the productivity of those around them, while at the same time we address what are really problematic integrity issues at the moment in the system and the biggest pathway that that's occurring at, um, at the moment in is through our international student system. You know, I wish we had a Canadian politician who would have been that clear and acknowledge the problem, this is what we're going to do with it. Why do you think it's taken our government this long to acknowledge we have a problem in regards to how many people we're allowing in this country and the impact it's having uh, on so many so many uh, other parts of our, our, uh, of our, uh, our government and even simple things as our commute? Because I think the provinces have been slow in their critical response. It's just sort of gathering momentum coming from the provinces, expressing concern. But it, it's it's a two-way street here because you've got the, the provincial governments are also concerned about capping international students because international students have, have become a cash cow for universities, which takes the pressure, the funding pressure off the provincial government to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. They don't have to spend now because foreign students are providing the funding. On the other hand, uh, mass immigration puts huge pressure on the housing market, on infrastructure, and that's where the, the, the premiers last year started the conversation about with Ottawa, but it's been a slow one to build in terms of putting pressure on Ottawa to really fundamentally change uh, the numbers that we're seeing coming in because. Again, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. A half million more people are going to be part of our healthcare system in terms of signing up for MSP, registering in the MSP program. 337,000 in the last two years, probably close to 200,000 uh, since then. So that puts enormous, potentially enormous pressure on our healthcare system, which again is funded 75% by the province and you know less than 25% by by the feds. So I think it's going to reactivate the conversation on healthcare, which everyone thought they had a deal a couple of years ago. I think that deal is going to have to be revisited if immigration numbers continue to skyrocket. 